0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker, alongside, as usual, my father, Chris. Here's what we have on the menu for you guys today. Sportsnet hires a new host of Blue Jays Talk on 590, the fan, Scott MacArthur, formerly at TSN, and we have him on the show today. I got a chance to sit down with him earlier. It was a great conversation. We will also talk in depth about Mike Trout's contract, a mammoth deal, ten-year, three hundred and sixty million dollar extension, adding to his already large contract, making it twelve years, four hundred thirty million. Chris, how are you today?
1: I'm good, but I think uh, I think Mike Trout's doing a little better. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's a safe bet. I
1: know we'll get into that, but holy cow! I mean, four hundred twenty-six million plus. Uh, for 12 years. That's huge. So be, I'm interested to talk to that, talk about that, but boy, boy, am I excited about the interview you have today. Uh, great hire by Roger Sportsnet, mm-hmm. um, And, and uh, I'm really, really excited to hear what you, uh, you and Scott talked about as you sat down earlier.
0: Yeah, it was a great conversation. One of the best minds, one of the best baseball minds in the game. And uh, it was, it was amazing to get a chance to sit down with him and we hope to have him on again. Some point at some point very soon. Um, So, without further ado, let's bring you right to that interview. I got a chance to sit down with Scott MacArthur earlier. Here you go. I'm now joined by Scott MacArthur, host of Blue Jays Talk, which airs after every Blue Jays regular season game on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. He will also be in the booth for all Blue Jays home games and in the Sportsnet studios for all away games. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? And congratulations on the new job.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, It is an honor to be on this podcast. I enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much uh so let's get right into things about that aforementioned job switch what was it like for you to hear that you were going to get a job held by some of the people you idolized on the radio growing up
2: it's very special um you're a little younger than me dylan uh but i'm sure your dad remembers when sportsnet 590 the fan was cjcl 1430 (laughs) which played which played old person's music, at least it was old person's music when I was a kid, except for between 6.10 and 7 o'clock Eastern Time each weekday evening when Bob McCowan would host primetime sports, as he still does today. And CJCL 1430 became the fan 1430 around Labor Day 1992, Canada's first all-sports radio station, just as the Blue Jays were about to win their first of the two World Series moved up the dial to 590 a few years later became the fan 590 now it's sportsnet 590 the fan so whether it's scott ferguson tom cheek jerry howarth mike wilner uh, joe siddle alan ashby the fact that my name is even connected in any way to the lineage of the toronto blue jays radio baseball broadcast is very special to me
0: yeah i mean you were you mentioned it. it's been held by some of the some of the greats in the Blue Jays radio broadcast booth, and they couldn't have picked a better guy for the job. We're excited to hear you this year.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Problem. Uh, so this week, let's move on. This week, it was announced that Randall Gritchick would be the leadoff hitter to start the year, or at least sharing that role to begin the 2019 season. How well do you think Randall will fit into that spot? I know we saw Brandon Drury lead off against the Braves, so if Gritchick isn't a fit, could he take over?
2: Well, this is this is the question, right? And And I wonder... I wonder if we're honing in on this a little too much because the one thing, if you look around the diamond offensively, the blue Jays are not blessed with many on base guys, not many on base percentage OBP guys. And so in the very same way that John Gibbons experimented with Kevin Pillar a couple of years ago, Charlie Montoyo, may have an idea for the first week or two or three of the season, and then may have to adjust depending upon performance. And today, as we sit here today on Wednesday, March the 20th, Brandon Drury having just let off something he's only done in three major league games in his career, he's been stinging the ball. And Mm -hmm. so maybe Montoya's looking around saying, I might have to ride the hot hand here and there. I may need more than one option. So Gritchuk is not an on-base guy. Uh, Drury has had an injury-interrupted career to this point. Another name to keep an eye on is Billy McKinney, yeah. who I think is going to be the fourth outfielder, which is to say he's not going to start every day, therefore not be able to lead off very often. But when he does play, and particularly against right-handed pitchers, he may get that shot in the one spot. So... I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation. And as I've joked with listeners on Blue Jays talk so far, Mike Wilner used to frustrate people with the quote, it's early phrase. My, my phrase that's going to frustrate people is the quote, time will tell <laughs> uh, line because there are so many questions and we'd love the hard and fast answers right now, but it's just so early. There are so many moving parts that I think it's really hard to lock in
0: on one guy at this particular point. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's just spring training. There's no way to tell how anyone will perform. And I do believe that Randall Gritchick will be a decent player in that leadoff role, but there's no way to tell at this moment right now. And I think that Brandon Drury could be a good backup candidate, but I think Billy McKinney has that role if Gritchick does struggle early on
2: yeah as long as as mckinney's in the lineup every day and Mm -hmm. and that's going to be number one performance related and number two uh how often is billy mckinney going to be out there say against left-handed pitching now teoscar hernandez if he plays a reasonable left field and that is in question right That, that has been a struggle for him and we're being diplomatic when we describe it that way but if he plays a reasonable left field And he continues to hit everything hard. He hit his second home run of the spring today as we sit here on March 20th. I'm smart enough, Dylan, in podcasts to say the date because I know that people are listening, um, if not today, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Mm -hmm. He hit his second home run of the spring. Uh, He has not had a lot of extra base hits this spring to his name, but a lot of what does come off Tay Oscar's bat is hard hit. And so I would lean toward him being the everyday left fielder Um, But there are negotiable parts. If Kevin Pillar goes into a slump, could Grichik slide over to center field if Teoscar and McKinney are playing well and hitting well? So, you know, you've got some flexibility. Um, I think it's really, really hard to define certain things like who is absolutely positively going to take the majority of the leadoff at-bats with this team this year.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many variables to look at. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, that's for sure. Moving no, on. No. Last Thursday, the MLB announced several rule changes for the 2019 and 2020 seasons. Some were met with displeasure, others were liked. One of the most controversial rules is the three batter rule for each pitcher, which takes effect in 2020, which mer- uh, managers did not like very much. I wanted to get your take on all these changes.
2: I don't like that rule personally. I'm going to give you I I'm going to give you one of the arguments in favor of it in just a little bit after i explain why i don't like it because i've talked to some people about this and and they'll give you the flip side of the coin whether or not they agree with it they'll tell you what some of the smaller market teams were arguing i don't like it because i don't like legislating strategy Mm -hmm. um i do not and would never advocate for for example uh the removal of the shift the requirement that two infielders be on the right side of the diamond and two infielders be on the left side of the diamond i look at it this way if you're a manager and you have 26 players at your disposal a 26-man roster you can utilize that 26-man roster however it is you please over the course of a nine inning or nine plus inning baseball game and if you run out of people that's your problem you've mismanaged the baseball game so if you want uh, if you see uh, righty, lefty, righty batting lineup coming up at a crucial moment in the eighth inning and you want to go hard-throwing righty, hard-throwing lefty or so, lefty with sweeping, breaking stuff to take on the left-handed hitter and go back to a right-hander, you should be able to do that. But you've mm-hmm. chewed through two roster spots in just two hitters. So you've got to manage that. I don't like outlying, uh anything that pertains to the strategy of the sport. Here is one argument that has been given by some of the smaller market teams, which is we do not have the budget flexibility, the payroll flexibility. Now that we're adding a 26th man to the roster and paying an extra player, a big, a big league salary, we do not have the budget flexibility to go after high priced left-handed specialist relievers. So, you know, when Josh Hader, uh, Becomes a, a free agent a number of years from now, or a better, more immediate example, Andrew Miller, um, mm-hmm. who has been a heralded left handed reliever for the last number of years in Major League Baseball. He's priced himself out of the market for about half the teams in the league. That's just the truth of the matter. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the contract that he was on that just expired when he was pitching for Cleveland was signed with the Yankees for four years and $36 million. I'm telling you right now, you will not live to see the day that the Pittsburgh Pirates sign a left-handed specialist reliever to a $9 million AAB <laughs> contract. It's just not going to happen. So those teams are arguing, we don't have the budget flexibility to have a pitcher like Andrew Miller in our lineup and maybe miller's a bad example in the sense that he can go multiple innings and is just as tough on righties as he is lefties but my point is is they say we don't have the budget to pay top relievers in a game that ever more increasingly is being dominated by the second third fourth fifth sixth pitchers that you use in a game and so they say that forcing teams forcing managers to employ a pitcher for at least three hitters in the game levels the playing field for them how you feel about that is up to you i'm just presenting a devil's advocate um argument i don't like it myself i think managers should be able to employ the strategies that they have as they see fit
0: you know what i get that argument i do it's a valid point but i disagree with it or i don't disagree with that i just don't like the rule the, i think like let me give you a scenario you got bases loaded like we saw with uh, i think it was david paulino earlier this spring, maybe I think it might have been Elvis Luciano too, who went through this pitcher has no control. Bases are loaded walking. Everybody you bring a guy in who also has no control walks two batters. He still has to face another one. Who knows what's going to happen there? Even walks one batter. He still has to face two more batters before he can get taken out of the game. What happens there? That could cost you a game. If you're in the playoff hunt, that could cost you your playoff chances, yep. to me, it's it's just ridiculous that they would introduce a rule like this. Like you said, it completely blocks a manager's possible strategy.
2: Well, and what if you have um, a right-hander, doesn't matter what his name is, who comes into a game and he's got to face the next three hitters, and for whatever reason on that particular day, he's an absolute gas can and cannot get anything close to the plate. He's, if he's not up, he's down, and if he's not in, he's out and if he's over the plate he's grooving it and it's hittable he's starting to aim whatever the case may be you i think have to be able as a manager to adjust now will these managers be able to adjust using foresight and and have to you know maybe look ahead a couple of outs or an inning or two okay this is how our opposition is lining things up today. Who do they have on the bench? They've got this lefty who's available to them, this righty. Here's where I project they would use this particular hitter. If I did this in that particular scenario, maybe there's going to be increased nuance and a cat and mouse game that the devout diehard fan who really understands what he or she is watching is going to be able to try and track and project. Um, But there are so many intricacies that go on including the fact that it doesn't matter sometimes what it looks like in the bullpen that doesn't mean it's going to look good when it hits the mound after its eight warm-up pitches on any particular day I think you really are disarming the manager and to your point Dylan there could be issues late in the season in very important games Um, some people would say well that's just the power of performance and you've got to have guys who can get the job done but I think as a manager with the 26 roster spots, or as the case will be in September with the 28 roster spots, you should be able to use your guys as you see fit when you see fit to use them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but I don't like the rule. Um, it completely eliminates strategy. It, it's changing the game too much for me because like you said, a manager should have all of his options to play. He should be able to change who who's on the bump. He should be able to make a pitching change. Uh, In the middle of an inning when a guy has only faced one hitter or two hitters after he's been awful. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. The rule is not good. I don't like it. And I think it's going to affect the game in a tremendous way down the stretch. I agree with you. So let's move on to a topic that's kind of been discussed this spring. Dalton Pompey's had a pretty good spring so far. Pretty good might be an understatement, but he is out of options, and it does not look like he's going to break camp with the team. Would, or do, you think it's going to be, do you think it would be a good move for the Blue Jays to shop around with other teams to see if they would take Dalton Puppet so you can get something back for him?
2: Well, if you've decided that, that he's not going to make the team, then that's absolutely what you do, um, and, and you play the time game. And the Blue Jays still have it, as all 30 teams do at this particular Mm -hmm. point. And and there's going to be a crunch time. Decisions will have to be made by the middle of next week prior to opening day, Thursday afternoon, against the Detroit Tigers. And you're going to have to set your roster. And I think you use that time to try to extract whatever it is you can, if you've decided you're moving on from Dalton, to try to extract whatever you can uh, out of a out of a team that may be interested in giving him uh, a second shot to maybe settle down and and be a contributor somewhere else. That's where I see this going. Where's the value at? Well, depends on who's interested. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for example, I, I don't think there would be, Uh, a lot of value in doing a deal with the Baltimore Orioles because the Orioles lost approximately 14,000 baseball games last year. (laughs) And because they are in the American League with the Blue Jays, they are going to get the first kick at the waiver wire can, right? So if Dalton hits waivers, the Orioles, a rebuilding team looking for a buy low, potentially high reward guy might scoop them up. And throw him out there in center field or one of the corner outfield spots and say, hey, maybe Dalton comes to the Mason-Dixon line and settles down a little bit and finds his groove and becomes a contributor. But if there is a team that is legitimately interested in a guy who swings from both sides of the plate, a guy who can steal your bases, somebody who still has upside in the outfield. But they're worried that if he hits the waiver wire, he's going to get scooped up quickly, which would be my anticipation, personally mm-hmm. speaking. Then maybe you can get not an appreciable prospect, but a lower-level guy who, if you hit on the right one, may, and I underline the word may, may turn into something at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dalton has the ability to be a 5 tool player. He can play defense pretty well. He can still... You- bases he can hit really well or he what when he's good but i mean he has not been able to put that all together in 2015 the only purpose he really served on that team was to steal them bases and be a good base runner in the playoffs he didn't have many other contributions to the team and last year he was the only man on the 40-man roster not to be called up in september so I think that the the Jays are the Jays could be over Dalton Pompey. I think they, mm. they likely are over Dalton Pompey. I think it's a great idea to see which teams are interested. Um, I don't know how much you'd get back from the Orioles because they probably just want a placeholder and they'll give you a fringe prospect in single A to get him. But, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea at all to go shopping around uh, the league.
2: No, and it's, I mean, it's... This is, you're going to see a ton of movement next week because guys are going to mm-hmm. be getting designated off the 40 man roster in order for teams to add guys who they've brought in on minor league deals through camp and have decided to keep, they, they'll they need to be added to the 40 man. You're going to see players go on the 60 day disabled list. I mean, the big news here today down in Dunedin. And again, we're talking on March the 20th, uh, a Wednesday was that both. Ryan Tapera and John Axford are dealing with elbow pain. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to play one on this podcast. We're gonna, we expect learn more tomorrow because both were being checked by team doctors today. But when you hear elbow pain, you worry, you worry that it's significant. And yeah. It certainly is an issue for pitchers. So even if it isn't the worst case scenario, like a UCL tear that would require the Tommy John ligament replacement surgery. Elbow pain needs to be 110% dissipated, disappeared, gone Mm
1: -hmm. before
2: you're even allowed to throw a baseball again. So Ryan Tapera is not going to start the season uh, with the Toronto blue Jays. And, and neither is John Axford. If this in any way for either of them is serious and the pain doesn't disappear, say by like right now or tomorrow. So, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be guys who are added to the disabled list. There's a decision to make on Devin Travis after the knee thing. He's four to six weeks away. Okay, that's mid-May by the time he's ready to play in the big leagues. Two weeks beyond May is when somebody who's placed on the 60-day disabled list would first be eligible to make his season debut. The reason you put somebody on the 60, and I should call it the injured list now. It's not the disabled (coughs) list anymore. The reason you put somebody on the 60-day injured list is because you can then take them off the 40-man roster, which means you can add somebody Mm -hmm. else. And that may prevent you from having to designate somebody else for assignment and potentially lose them to another team on waivers. So there are all these roster decisions that have to be made, not just by Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins here in Toronto, but by all 29 other big league teams as they get set to lay out their 25 man rosters to start the season next Thursday.
0: Yeah. It will be interesting to see what the blue Jays in particular do since we follow them pretty closely. Uh, Last, topic on tuesday two contract extensions were announced mike trout's giant 426 million dollar deal for 12 years and alex bregman's 100 million dollar deal for six. First of all on saturday's blue jays talk you said trout would be the first 35 million dollar player or 35 million dollar per year player sure enough he's making around 36 million per year over the next 12 seasons will you take credit for predicting that <laughs> how could these extensions change free agency
2: Okay, well, I won't take credit for, for predicting that <laughs> because I think it was too e- easy a, a comment mm-hmm. to make. But if you want a hot take, if you want a hot take, I'm going to say, and don't roll your eyes at me, just hear me out, it's a 10-year, $360 million extension, bringing the total because he was already under contract for this year and next to what you said, Dylan, which is a 12-year, about $426.5, 430000000 million mm-hmm. contract. Mike Trout's underpaid.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. So,
2: And people roll their eyes at that saying, how can, how can you ever suggest, you ignorant you-know-what, that a player who has become the closest to getting to a half-billion-dollar salary over a dozen-year period for his on-field performance, never mind the endorsements, but how can you say a guy who will make over a half-billion dollars when that when that contract is up, because he's already accrued a pretty nice living, how can you say he's underpaid? Well the wins above replacement statistic is a way that teams try to value players. And typically it's been understood that one win above replacement, a one-war player, is about an eight million dollar a year guy. That's crept up a little closer to $10 million a year now. Well Mike Trout is about a 10 war player each season, 10 wins above replacement 10 times 10. And it's been a long time since I was in grade two math, but 10 times 10, as far as I can remember is a hundred million dollars. <laughs> now nobody is ever going to pay Mike Trout a hundred million dollars a year. And I am not advocating for that. And it would be a grossly irresponsible way to, to, to allocate your player payroll budget when you have a luxury tax in the $205 to $210 million range that you're dealing with. You can't give one guy $100 million. But if we, in a perfect world, are assessing, based on the war metric, a guy's actual value, Mike Trout is a $100 million a year player, which means over a dozen years, he really could be, in our hypothetical world, in which we are not accounting for the regression that he will no doubt have once he moves into his late 30s, a 12-year, $1.2 year 1200000000 with a B <laughs> dollar contract. Um, As for Bregman, I think there are a couple of factors at play here. This is a guy who is heading soon into his arbitration eligibility. This is a deal, um, well, kind of, actually, you know what, maybe it's kind of close to being what Mike Trout's deal was. Alex Bregman decided, you know what, I'm going to lock in. I'm going to lock in. The Houston Astros are going to buy out my arbitration eligible years and buy out some of my free agent years. And you will notice when you see the AAV, that's not relevant. That contract will pay him, and I haven't seen the numbers, so I can't say it specifically, but it will pay him X amount this year, and you will see significant bumps year over year over year because they are projecting what his arb rate would be based on projected, uh, projected production. And then number of years down the road, they will pay him high, high, season salaries buying out those free agency eligible years that he would have so that will be an ascending contract i think it's something that you could look for the blue jays to do with vladimir guerrero jr in a couple of years time if he hits like we think he will and i think he will hit like we think he will if he's healthy and that's a question and vlad is not how we say uh (laughs) svelte so (laughs) You know, there are some questions around that that's going to have to play out over time. I think part of Bregman's rationale as well is we've got some labor uncertainty coming up here. This collective bargaining agreement is scheduled to end after the 2021 season. We know that players are upset because they feel like they're getting pinched on the young end because you have to play three years in the big leagues, three years of major league service time before you even are eligible for arbitration, which is when you can begin to make significant paydays. Teams control your annual salaries up until then. They can just tell you as long as they pay you at least the major league minimum here, this is what you're making this year. And you'd know the Blake Snell situation, having won the Cy Young Award for the Tampa Bay Rays last year, they have a salary structure for their one to three players, their year one, year two, year three players that are pre-arbitration eligible guys. Blake Snell is making six figures this year which is asinine for a guy of his caliber. And so players are upset that they're getting pinched on the young end. And now with sports science and analytics data telling us that guys are considered old at 30, 31, 32, they're saying, Hey, wait, given development time, big league ball players typically don't break in until they're 22, 23. If I'm not free agency eligible until 29 and you're already telling me I'm old, when am I really going to cash in? And so I think Bregman takes the guaranteed money, nine figures over X number of years, knowing he can probably hit the jackpot again once he's into that 30-31 range, maybe not on a long-term contract, but he'll, he'll make some more money. So with the labor uh, unrest potentially ahead and whatnot, Bregman assures himself a real nice payday, takes the guaranteed money going forward, and will continue to be a great player for the Houston Astros.
0: Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you on your take of Mike Trout being underpaid. He's he's the best player in baseball. I thought he deserved more than what he got. Once I saw the AAV, uh, Bregman. It's it's interesting. You're right. He's going he t- he takes the guaranteed money instead of maybe not signing till March, like he would have if he was in if he was uh, if he hit free agency at at the age. How old do you know how old he would have been if he hit free agency?
2: Uh, not off the top of my head, but I'm I'm assuming you know, he's got what three or four years left mm-hmm. of, of team control. So, you know, he'd be late twenties. So I don't, I don't want to be yeah. wrong about this, but I, I think it would be, you know, 28 ish if mm-hmm. I'm guessing and I'll check back later and people can tweet me and yell at me if I'm wrong, but it would be, <laughs> it would be late twenties for sure that Bregman would hit free agency.
0: Yeah. And he's not going to get, I don't think he's going to get a monster deal at that age, especially with, like you said, the analytics showing that, you're nearing your old age in in your baseball career once you hit, once you get into your late 20s, because that old age has suddenly become 30, 31, 32 years old.
2: Yeah, well, the truth too, Dylan, is it's not just it's not a, it's not the actual dollar number, although that factors in. It's it's players are having trouble securing term, mm-hmm. so they want the guarantee over six years or five or seven years. They they want. They want to know that they're signing somewhere and they're going to be there and they're going to make their money and they're going to play for that team. They're going to settle down. Typically, by that point, you might be dating somebody seriously, engaged, married. There might be a kid on the way, something like that. You kind of want to settle down. The issue is is that teams are happy to pay a high dollar total, but they want to do it on a short term. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. we'll give you two years and 50 million dollars yeah 25 a year but we won't give you four years or five years and 110 mil where the Mm -hmm. aav would come down a bit but if the guy goes rotten in the third fourth fifth year of the contract then you're stuck with him like for example if jose bautista and you know there were reports that he wanted five and 150 that's a number he disputed but let's just say for the hypothetical example that 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 is true jose bautista today as we stand here right now would be entering year three of that five-year 150 million dollar contract and jose will be remembered as one of the great blue jays and as well he should providing iconic moments and massive home run seasons he was a wonderful player for his about decade in toronto but if he were entering the third year of a 150 million dollar contract given what he's become in his advanced for baseball age it mm-hmm. would not be a smart business decision for the Blue Jays. They no. were right to walk away. And you have, to be, you, have to, uh, you have to objectively, objectively determine these things. You cannot allow emotion, fan pressure, and other things to come into the equation because it leads to bad decisions.
0: Yeah. Scott, thank you so much for joining me and hopping on today. Have a great rest of your night, and we hope to have you on again sometime.
2: Yeah, please do. I'll be sad if you don't uh, call me again. Thanks, Dylan. I <laughs> we, appreciate it.
0: We will for sure. So that was Scott MacArthur. What a great interview I had with him. Fantastic conversation. Always great to talk to a guy like Scott. One of the better baseball minds out there. Now, one of his hotter takes at the end of the interview, as I'm sure you all heard, was that Mike Trout was actually underpaid. And I completely agreed with him on that, just based on his talent level. I wanted to get your thoughts, though.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I totally agree with him on that. I think that it's based on his talent level, but I also think it's based on when he signed. Um, So you you combine that talent level, which is a generational player that nobody can compare to, and the fact that he still had two years on his old deal, uh, you know, two years from now, that's a long time in baseball world and and in baseball inflation. And so, you know, there was probably a good chance that he was going to sign a 12-year deal anyway, starting then at over 500 million so yeah i think he definitely got underpaid but at the same time this really sets him up for life it sets his family up for life and it gets him in onto a team that he's he's sort of grown up with and ended up being you know uh now a lifer with and and i think that that's that's an amazing thing and it's where you're seeing baseball go now
0: yeah um i mean it's a, it's a great it's a great point you brought up and like you said, inflation, he could have gotten, maybe could have gotten a $500 million deal, but who knows? But now he does have that security. He's going to be in Los Angeles, most likely for the rest of his career, unless he, for some reason, demands a trade. And the Angels have made a mistake in the past with the Albert Pujols contract, but Mike Trout and Albert Pujols are two very different players. And Mike Trout, at 38 years old, when this contract expires, 38, 38 39 years old, he's still going to be. Pretty good player He might not be the best in the game at the time, but he's going to be a pretty good player and he's going to go down as the best of my generation uh, for sure. And one of the best of all time.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, the you know, you bring up a good comparison with the Pujols contract, which was great for the Angels in the early going his body's kind of broken down on him a little bit and, and that's made the later part of this contract to be a little bit of an albatross for the angels. But at the same time, you know, I don't foresee necessarily that happening with a Mike Trout. You're right as well that it's done at 38, whereas Pujols is done at like 41. (laughs) So, Mm uh, which really do we ever, other than Bartolo, do we ever see a player go that or (laughs) Ichiro even, but, um, but I mean, that's the thing, like, You you know, I think this is a really good deal for both sides. I think there might be a chance he could have got paid more, probably in Philadelphia, a couple of years down the road. But that's not going to happen now. And I don't think he really cares. I I just don't think he really cares. He's got the security now up to 38 years old. There are no opt-outs in this contract. So it's not like he's thinking, oh, I'll go somewhere else three years from now and just take more money now. No, he is an angel probably for the rest of his career. And, and uh, you know, it's up to Major League Baseball now to probably start marketing him a little better because there aren't a lot of Anaheim Angel fans out on the East Coast and, and and therefore don't know a lot about Mike Trout. And I mm-hmm. think that's where you're getting all these weird takes that he's overpaid because the East Coast fans don't know much about him at all. And I think that's well, where those those takes are coming from because they just don't know.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, East Coast fans, they don't necessarily want to stay up till till 1 a.m. to watch uh, just Mike Trout play. But one of the things, one of the reasons that I think that people are saying that Mike Trout is overpaid, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout are two very different players. Mike Trout, in in my mind, and anyone who watches the game's mind, is a much better player. But Bryce Harper is a bigger brand. He's a bigger name. If you talk to an average sports fan who knows a little bit about baseball— They'll hear Bryce Harper, and they'll expect that he got this mammoth deal that Trout did because he's Bryce Harper. Everyone knows Bryce Harper. Not as many people know how good Mike Trout truly is, and people are out here saying, uh, I heard this morning on uh, the leadoff spot on MLB Network Radio that uh, uh, there was a guy that was saying, yeah, he's a a good overall player, but has he ever ever been the best in any categories over a long stretch in, in his career? And yeah, he has. You look at the stats, he has been the best player in several categories over his career and it's ridiculous to think that some people are saying that Bryce Harper should have been paid more or that Mike Schott is even overpaid because he is not and like Scott said he's underpaid if anything because of how good he is this guy could have easily been like you said a 500 million dollar player a couple of years down the road teams would have still been willing to offer him a 12 year deal This is yeah. it's insane to me that people think that, uh, that, he, was, that he was overpaid
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of intangibles that come along with Trout as well that you don't notice because it's so easy for him. This game comes to him Mm -hmm. so easily. And it was Matt Diaz this morning also on the leadoff spot that was saying that, you know, where you have to almost go into the clubhouse and talk to opposing players to hear the stories about like this guy stole a triple from me. Without even having to dive. Well, if he's not diving, he's not making the highlight reel. And so even though he's like a gazelle out there and he gets that, <laughs> he gets into that gap and he gets that triple and he takes it away from the batter, he's not having to jump or dive or make a TV dive, right? So he's, he's maybe not getting that same attention, yet any other center fielder is laying out for that same that same ball, right So it, it's it, you're right I, I think there's a lot of uh, pieces to this puzzle about why people think maybe Mike Trout isn't worth this kind of money. Listen folks, he is he is a Hall of famer first ballot and uh, and he's already that and he's not even into his free agent years, which you never see now <laughs> and and you know like I mean how do you argue with that? I mean mm-hmm. how do you argue with that dollar value? with a player like that and again it's just ignorance bryce harper is on the east coast so that's why another reason they think that he's better in some ways than than trout or at least deserves close to trout money listen folks he doesn't bryce harper was nominated or in the top two i should say of mvp voting six of his first seven years bryce harper once in that sorry, same said, time Sorry, uh, you
0: meant Mike Trout the first time. You said Bryce Harper.
1: Yeah, sorry. Mike Trout was nom- not nominated, but you know what I mean. Finished mm-hmm. in, in, in MVP voting top two for his first six out of seven years. And Bryce Harper was once in that same time Bryce period. Harper
0: so, has won the MVP once, and that was in 2015. He and that was the 30th. time he was in top two. He finished 30th in 2012 and finished 12th in 2017. Mike Trout has been in the top five, at least for pretty much all of his career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no argument there and, and, you know, there's some, some talk about this, maybe destroying free agency. I get that to a certain extent. It probably does. I think it changes the dynamic of what baseball is, especially in its offseason. I don't think free agency is as important for the superstars any longer. I think the superstars are clearly saying, stay with your team. And the teams are clearly saying, draft well and sign your superstar. Mm -hmm. And then you'll go to free agency for Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4, Tier 5 free agents to fill out the rest of your team. And I think that this also puts a huge emphasis on trades. Now, I think this is where the game is going, whether you like it or not, whether you're an old school radio broadcaster from, toronto that 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 wants this to to happen and have these free agent signings because it's taking the excitement away i don't think it is at all i think the excitement just changes to trades which by the way are more exciting than a Mm -hmm. free agent signing in my opinion so i don't think it destroys baseball does it change it absolutely does it change free agency for sure but i think it's it's just as exciting it just baseball has to look at how everything works now
0: that is a great point, and I will leave it at that. This has been a wonderful episode of 211's Baseball Talk. We thank you all for tuning in. For Scott MacArthur and Chris Baker, I am Dylan Baker. We'll see you all next